This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day and welcome to episode 10 of AFF On Air. It is Saturday the 4th of May 2019 and I'm your host, Matt Graham. Coming up in today's episode, our favourite travel agent, Alan Lamb, will join me on the podcast to talk about premium economy, as well as the recent changes that were announced, or as it were, not announced, to the British Airways Executive Club Frequent Flyer Program. That's coming up, but first let's take a look at what's making news on Australian Frequent Flyer this fortnight. And firstly, Cathay Pacific is ending service to Cairns after 25 years on the Cairns to Hong Kong route. At this stage, the last flight is scheduled for the end of October this year. Cathay Pacific currently flies between Cairns and Hong Kong four times per week using Airbus A330s, and Qantas has been offering code shares on this route since last October. Yet another airline is facing imminent financial collapse. Avianca Brazil has had to cancel thousands of flights in the last couple of weeks and has terminated services on most of their routes after 18 of their 25 aircraft were repossessed by debt collectors. The Brazilian airline already declared bankruptcy late last year. Avianca Brazil is a separate airline to Avianca, which is based in Colombia. And Avianca Brazil was originally called Ocean Air, but now operates using the Avianca brand on a franchise arrangement. Avianca itself, which operates the Life Miles Frequent Flyer program, is not bankrupt. Still in South America, and LATAM Airlines has announced that it will start flying non-stop from Santiago de Chile to Sydney from later this year. LATAM already flies to Sydney daily, but the flights all stop in Auckland, New Zealand. LATAM will stop in Auckland four times per week going forward, but fly direct to Sydney the other three days per week using their 787 Dreamliners. The new schedule has not yet been announced, but we expect that LATAM will probably fly non-stop between Sydney and Santiago on the three days per week that Qantas doesn't. Virgin Australia has deferred the delivery of its new Boeing 737 MAX aircraft that were originally scheduled to arrive from November this year, and they are now scheduled to arrive from July 2021. In addition, Virgin has switched some of its order from 737 MAX 8s to the larger MAX 10 aircraft. The MAX 10s will be delivered first now, meaning that Virgin won't be operating any 737 MAX 8 aircraft until at least 2025. The 737 MAX 10 is a larger aircraft and it could see lie flat business class seats in the front of the plane, making these aircraft ideal to operate on transcontinental services as well as routes like Sydney to Bali. Velocity Frequent Flyer is once again running its twice yearly promotion on points transfers during the month of May. You can earn between 15 and 25% bonus velocity points when transferring from most Australian credit card rewards programs to Velocity this month, and the bonus percentage amount will increase as you transfer more points. If you happen to have ComBank Awards points, you will receive a 25% bonus on all transfers of any amount, and ANZ Rewards customers get an even more generous 50% bonus. Numerous hotel loyalty programs, as well as flybys, are also participating in this promotion. 
And finally, British Airways has announced some rather concerning changes to redemptions through its Executive Club Frequent Flyer program. The changes will affect redemptions on almost all partner airlines. And I'll be talking about this later in the episode with Alan. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news, updates and deals, be sure to subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette or follow us on Facebook. Well, many of us would love to fly in business or first class when we're traveling long haul. This, of course, isn't always a reality for everyone. Uh, business and first class tickets are, of course, uh, very expensive. But if you want an experience that it's a bit nicer than economy, being stuck in a middle seat with your knees squished up against the seat in front of you, there is an alternative to paying for business class. I'm talking, of course, about premium economy. AFF's favourite travel agent, Alan Lamb, who's also known on AFF as Mad Rooster, has agreed to come on to uh, talk about this. And I had him on back in episode five to talk about Finnair's Around the World Fairs. Welcome back to the AFF On Air podcast, Alan. Thank you, Matt. Can you tell me what exactly do you get when you're buying a premium economy product? Is it just a, a slightly better seat or is there additional service as well? Or what, what do you get there? Uh, premium economy varies a, a fair bit between all the different airlines. Uh, each airline seems to have their own sort of spin on the product. Uh, Qantas, for example, with their product, they've uh, aimed at very much a business minus type product. And so the catering is more of a, a business class type catering with proper china and metal cutlery and proper trays and things like that. Um, and you get you can also get champagne although I'm not too sure if they still do serve champagne in premium economy these days. The catering is more of a, quite close to a domestic business class catering. Uh, on other airlines, such as, say, Cathay Pacific, uh, the product is closer to more of an economy plus or maybe an economy plus plus type product rather than a business minus. And so you see a lot more elements borrowed or taken from the economy cabin rather than business class Um other airlines have gone for a bit of both, um, and so they have a product that is essentially uh, some parts from business and some parts from economy. Um, British Airways for a while was doing that, where they were essentially serving one meal for longer flights. They'd serve one meal from uh, the business class menu and one meal from the economy menu. Okay, yeah, and so as you say, with, with some airlines, it's... Um you're paying just for a bit of a better seat and some some airlines also incorporate business class service elements into it. Do you have any like thoughts on which airlines are closer to a, being a business light product and which ones are more of a just a kind of an economy plus? The carriers that do have uh, more of a product that's close to the business class would tend to be, say, Qantas, uh, Virgin Australia, um, in New Zealand and uh, Singapore Airlines. Um, you have some carriers like Japan Airlines or ANA um, who essentially are just giving you mainly a better seat and you're still giving you uh, what is otherwise an economy meal. Yeah, but with uh, JAL and ANA also you do get lounge access on, a, on the premium economy ticket, which is something that most airlines don't offer. So that's a pretty good benefit, um, even if the onboard product is maybe not quite in the same league as Qantas and Virgin. That's correct. Uh, JL uh, or Japan Airlines and ANA um, do offer lounge access on the premium economy uh, tickets. However, in a lot of um, ports, 
that lounge access may not be the same lounge as the business class. For example, in Los Angeles, I know that Japan Airlines uh, for business class passengers will send people to the one mold business class lounge if you're in business class or you have status. However, if you run premium economy, you get to you get sent to the I think one of the contract lounges in Los Angeles, which is uh, nowhere near as nice as the one mold business class lounge. And I, th- I believe that in Sydney, JAL sends you to the Qantas Business Lounge if you're in premium economy. And in Melbourne, it's the Mahaba Lounge, so not the Qantas Lounge, but one of the one of the third party. I think it's a priority pass lounge. So yeah, it's as you say, it's not quite the same as what you're getting in business class, but still, uh, most carriers don't offer uh, the lounge access in premium economy. So it's a decent benefit, and and you also get things like extra baggage allowance and priority check-in and things like that, don't you? Uh, yes, premium economy, generally, the carriers that do offer it um, do have their own premium economy check-in lines. I don't believe any carrier does actually offer priority baggage in premium economy. Uh, from what I know, I don't think I've ever seen a premium economy priority tag as such. Um, other than priority uh, check-in, some airlines, but not all airlines, uh, offer priority security screening and also priority boarding, although most airlines do offer the priority boarding. Okay, but you generally get an extra checked bag, I believe, don't you? Uh, depends on your destination. Uh, if it's typically if it's a destination where the uh, baggage allowance is based on pieces, like for example the US or Canada, then generally uh, the allowance is usually the same as economy, which is usually two pieces at twenty three kilos a piece. Um, however, if it's a destination such as Europe, where the baggage allowance tends to be more likely in weight, um, then usually you do get a small extra allowance. So if, say, economy is 30 kilos in premium economy, you might get, say, 35 kilos or possibly in 40 kilos. Okay. And uh, which uh, which airlines and products have you personally flown in premium economy and what, what did you think of them? Uh, I've flown Qantas uh, as well as uh, Cathay Pacific quite extensively. I have also uh, had a chance to have a look at the products that uh, British Airways, Singapore Airlines and Japan Airlines have. Um, and to be honest, the products do vary quite a lot. Uh, as I said earlier, each airline sort of has their own spin on what premium economy should really mean. Um, you know, the, the, the seats uh, in terms of legroom can even vary a fair bit. Uh, for example, Virgin Australia has more legroom in premium economy than Qantas does. Uh, Japan Airlines also has more legroom in premium economy than Qantas does. But that's the, the industry standard appears to be 38 inches um, in seat pitch. Uh, for premium economy, but some go up to about 42 inches. Yeah, and I, I've also flown on Qantas uh, in premium economy on the 787, and I think they've put in 38 inches, which is, as you say, about the standard. But the seat, uh, I don't. it feels like for a premium economy product, the legroom could be a bit better. Like it's an excellent, excellent seat, but I think they really needed a little bit more, more seat pitch, um, space between the seats to make that a really good product, uh, which is a bit of a shame. And I've flown also in premium economy on Qantas on the 747, and that's with the older style seats, which is what they currently have on the A380. Uh, and that was that was I thought a very very good product. Uh, the seat was the seat was nothing fancy, but it was, was wide, it was comfortable, and the service was was you know, fantastic. It was interesting for me to compare that to Lufthansa premium economy, which uh, I've flown on the 747 400s and, and the 8s. And uh, with that product, you, you get also you get a, a you know a wider, more comfortable seat with a bit more legroom. But the service was basically just economy. Um, it's the same meals as economy, just served with you know slightly nicer cutlery and and uh, china and things. But other than that, there was there was no real difference. And with premium economy, also if you're looking to upgrade with points, I believe the 
uh, number of points required to upgrade to business class and also the chance of getting the upgrade is going to be a little bit uh, better. Is that right? In some cases, like Qantas, uh, if you're uh, if you're upgrading from premium economy to business uh, compared to upgrading from economy straight to business with Qantas Frequent Flyer, it generally um, it's definitely a lower cost in number of points needed to upgrade from premium economy to business uh, compared to economy. I think Sydney, Los Angeles, for example, um, is about forty-five, maybe fifty thousand points, depending on what your what fare class you're in for premium economy to upgrade to business. But for economy, it's a lot more. I think it's in the 70,000 sort of range. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact amounts off the top of my head. Um, on other airlines like Cathay Pacific, uh, if you're wanting to upgrade using points, um, you can only upgrade by one cabin. So you aren't allowed to uh, upgrade from, say, economy straight to business like Qantas do. So if you do want to have a chance at upgrading using points to business on Cathay Pacific, you have to actually be already in the premium economy cabin or ticketing in the premium economy cabin in order to have a chance to upgrade to business. If you were ticketing in economy, you wouldn't be able to upgrade straight to business at all. You would only be able to upgrade to premium economy. If you're booked, say, on Qantas, where you do have the option to upgrade from you know, economy to business or premium economy to business, do you think that booking in premium economy increases your chances of getting the upgrade? Uh, certainly from the data points that I've seen personally, uh, yes, I do believe the premium economy upgrades um, do get processed first, uh, although status does play, uh, certainly what status that the passenger holds does uh, also play into what the equation is. I don't believe Qantas's formula is as simple as just simply uh, saying that the cabin um, matters first followed by status because I believe there's a thing called uh, PCV, or I believe it stands for perceived customer value or something like that, um, that also plays into this upgrade process. Yeah, and I guess uh, getting an upgrade on Qantas is a bit of a dark heart. No one really knows exactly what goes into the into who gets upgraded first. And yeah, I mean, I'd of course love to know this, but uh, yeah, it's, it's not not publicly revealed the information. So I guess it, it's, yeah, we can only rely on anecdotal evidence there. But I've, I've also heard that the, um, the chances are a little bit higher if you're in premium economy as opposed to economy. And uh, if you're looking to fly, uh, for example, to European economy, in premium economy, so you're obviously a travel agent, so you, I'm sure you're uh, quite familiar with what kind of fares are out there and what airlines uh, are offering this. What are some, some airlines that people should be looking at to get to Europe in premium economy? Unfortunately, as much as uh, Qantas might have a really good product uh, and probably arguably one of the best premium economy products out there and uh, has probably had the best or one of the best premium economy products out there for the last uh, several years, uh, their fares to Europe, unfortunately, are actually quite high um, unless you do manage to catch a good sale and very far out. Uh, and so if you book, say, you know, eight, nine months out uh, during a sale, then you might get a good price. But otherwise, premium economy on Qantas tends to be quite expensive in the 4,000, 5,000, even 6,000 mark. Um, and not at that type of price tag is not really that worthwhile. Um, for Europe, uh, generally uh, airlines like Singapore Airlines, uh, Cathay Pacific, even British Airways have quite good availability in premium economy and their prices are also quite reasonable. Uh, Singapore Airlines and Cathay Pacific, both as well as British Airways, tend to be around the 3,000, 3,500 price point uh, return from most Australian cities or most uh, major capitals. There are some other cheaper options as well to Europe, um, such as Japan Airlines. Japan Airlines has a year-round fare uh, in premium economy that is probably most suited for people on 
the east coast in Australia, so Brisbane, Sydney or Melbourne, uh, where you would fly up to Tokyo and then Tokyo to Europe from Tokyo. If you are going to one of the smaller cities in uh, Europe, Japan Airlines also partners with Finnair. Uh, so you would fly from Tokyo to Helsinki and then Helsinki onwards on Finnair to your European destination, such as, for example, Zurich, where Japan Airlines doesn't fly uh, directly there. And uh, with Japan Airlines, I believe that uh, at the moment it's a bit of a mixed bag, unfortunately, with the aircraft they're sending uh, on their Australian routes. So I think some months of the year they're not running premium economy out of Melbourne, but they are out of Sydney or vice versa. Do you know what's going on there? That's correct. Unfortunately, this year uh, Japan Airlines has been playing uh, hot potatoes with um, their aircraft that they've been assigning to the Sydney and Melbourne routes. Uh, some months of this year that the Sydney route uh, does have the newer aircraft and so it does have premium economy, but then Melbourne does not. Um, unfortunately, at other times of the year, it also means that um, Sydney and Melbourne both have the older aircraft and so neither Sydney or Melbourne do have premium economy, even though that it's a really good fare. Unfortunately, at certain times of the year, it's actually not possible to fly that fare because there's no actual premium economy cabin on that route. Um, furthermore, Japan Airlines also doesn't allow you to, uh, despite the really cheap price, um, you know, at about $2,500 to Europe return, uh, you, on that particular fare, you also aren't allowed to fly, say, economy up to Tokyo and then premium economy onwards. Uh, premium economy has to be available all the way from Australia to Europe uh, for the fare to be allowed. Right. And we've also seen, um, I don't know if they still have these fares, but last year, certainly there were some really good deals on China Airlines based in Taipei. Can you tell us a bit about those fares? Uh, China Airlines also does have quite good premium economy prices. Uh, they tend to be anywhere from about 2500 up to about 3000 uh, Sometimes on sale, that can be a little lower than 2500 which uh, re represents really good value. However, the, uh, the biggest drawback with uh, China Airlines is that um, often the schedules don't line up very well at Taipei and so therefore you end up with uh, quite long layovers or uh, the flight from Europe uh, gets into Taipei on a day that there's no flight from Taipei to um, your city in Australia, for example. And so when you've got a situation of that, you are basically forced to overnight in Taipei. So for the more... Um, flexible types of travel when you know if you're doing a, a leisure trip to Europe uh, then that might make sense how if you're you know if you're a business traveler uh, then that may not make so much sense because you know you, you know, wasting a day in Taipei may not be so sensible unless you've got business dealings in Taipei as well then that might be actually quite useful that's that's fair enough I mean I, I've seen some fares uh, with China Airlines to Frankfurt or Amsterdam for under $1,800 return out of Sydney and Melbourne so I mean for that price probably I'd personally be prepared to, to have a long stopover in Taipei actually I quite enjoy that um, to be honest but yeah, I, I guess it's not for everyone. Taipei unfortunately um, is probably not the easiest city to do a stopover in either because um, most of the residents in Taipei don't speak very good English uh, certainly with Mandarin Chinese being the main language spoken there, um, you know, getting around and communicating you know, in shops um, and on public transport and things like that is probably not going to be the easiest thing. Um, certainly you also, at the moment, uh, going from the airport to the city is also not the easiest task because you actually have to take a bus before you um, can take the train. There's no direct rail link at the moment, although they are building one, um, from the airport straight to the city. Oh, wow. I've never been to Taipei, so I didn't realize that. It sounds like a little bit of a hassle. And uh, so that, that's Europe. Now, over to North America, uh, we have 
five airlines flying direct from Australia to North America, four of which have premium economy. And there's also a few other indirect options. Uh, could you take, uh, take our listeners through what are some of the best ways to get to North America in premium economy? Uh, from Australia, particularly from the East Coast, um, the the ones that do fly direct to uh, North America are, are most ideal. So you've got um, the likes of Qantas, American, uh, United soon will have a premium economy product, uh, Virgin Australia, Delta. Um, for indirect options, you've got um, routes such as like New, uh, Air New Zealand via Auckland that you could take. Um, often those are quite, quite priced quite well as well. Um, and for other indirect options, you've got Japan Airlines, ANA, Cathay Pacific, as well as Singapore Airlines, but those definitely involve much larger detours. Um, for example, if you are going Sydney, Hong Kong to Los Angeles, um, all up, that's something like a uh, about 24 hours of travel time compared to 14 hours if you're doing, just simply doing Sydney, Los Angeles. Um, that said, for those who uh, have family in Hong Kong or have friends they can visit in Hong Kong or any of the other Asian cities that these uh, carriers do um, hub out of, then those rep might represent quite good options to do um, because they generally are priced quite well and you could quite possibly visit Asia as well as the uh, as well as North America for not much more than if you flew direct. And I guess that these carriers would also offer free stopover in, uh, in their Asian hubs? I believe... At the moment, with the current fares that are out there uh, on the market, uh, all of the indirect carriers do allow free stopover, yes. Okay, that could be quite a good option then, I guess. And it's also worth noting um, that Delta introduced, they only introduced premium economy, I think about a couple of weeks ago on their Sydney to Los Angeles route, but they have quite a large premium economy cabin and the award availability using uh, velocity points has been really quite good lately. So you can pick up some pretty good deals. I think it's 71,700 velocity points and about $200 in taxes uh, for Sydney to Los Angeles and Delta premium economy. So that, that could be quite a good deal. Also, we've, we've seen um, more and more airlines introduce premium economy products. I mean, it's it's a relatively new concept, but more and more airlines are installing these seats on their planes. I think they're realizing that they can make some quite good margins out of them. Uh, and one one airline of note that has been talking about introducing premium economy is Emirates. Uh, do you have any thoughts on what Emirates' uh, premium economy product might look like? Well, Emirates has always said that, or at least hinted in the context of uh, they're not wanting to cannibalize their uh, business class yields. And so we probably will see a product that is going to be somewhere in between business and economy. I, I can't really sort of say as to whether it's going to be more geared towards business or more geared towards economy because, I mean, there's not, you know, there hasn't been a lot of evidence in the industry that uh, really indicates what that might really look like. Um, Tim Clark certainly has uh, kept that under wraps very well. Yeah, and I guess that that comes to I guess another point where airlines don't want their premium. They want the premium economy product to be nice, but they don't want it to be too nice because obviously they don't want it to cannibalize their business class product. So I guess we're never going to see you know flat beds or anything particularly good in in premium economy. But still, that said, it's quite a nice upgrade from economy. Yes, I mean there are some low cost carriers like Air Asia who have installed. Um, essentially a flatbed um, in what would be priced at a premium economy price point. But I guess they're really sort of calling it more a business class product, although it's really more firmly, I mean, it's a bit of a mix of both in the context that it's uh, really more a business class product in the fact that it's like an angled 
flat seat, for example, but they're being char- uh, they're charging at premium economy prices. So uh, sometimes for leisure travel, that may be that may be a good option as well. Um, it's certainly not something I would recommend for business travel because some of the low cost carriers generally are more prone to things like cancelling flights at short notice and you know, not having such um, as many uh, frequencies running between uh, the city that you might be flying from or flying to. And so therefore you might you know, find yourself missing a meeting or you know, missing uh, an important event if you were uh, to be relying on a low cost carrier to get you to something important. Yeah, and that's a good point. Actually, I, I have flown AirAsiax from Kuala Lumpur to Sydney in their premium flatbed product, and I bought it. It was it was only about four hundred dollars just paying for that, and uh, it was it was perfectly fine. Uh, the the seat was angle flat, as you say, but I was able to sleep reasonably well. It was an overnight flight. Uh, the meal you basically you get one free meal, which is just an economy meal, uh, and they charged extra for drinks and and uh, yeah, I think you got a blanket and a pillow for free. But I mean for for what it was for that price, it was it was I thought it was very very good. And I guess over also to Europe, Scoot would might be another option in there. Scoot Biz Class. Scoot flies to Athens and Berlin, uh, and their fares are quite reasonable um, in the Biz Class. Yes, for leisure travel, uh, certainly. I mean, with Scoot flying to um, quite leisure destinations like Berlin and um, Athens, yeah, that definitely does offer quite a good option. Um, as we see Scoot and AirAsia expand um, uh, more so into Europe, although we haven't seen AirAsia expand too much um, west into that direction um, yet, but you know, who knows, that may happen. Um, but with, uh, with more expansion of those airlines into, the, into Europe, um, we might find that there will be some really attractive price points uh, for leisure travellers. Yeah, and I, I know AirAsia did or like quite a long time ago fly to London Gatwick, but that was not successful. And they also, a couple of years ago, they said they were going to launch flights to Barcelona, but they also did not eventuate. So I'm not sure we're going to see them. Uh, you never know, but I, I don't see them expanding to Europe because they've had a couple of kind of failed ventures already. And Alan, going over to Europe, is flying via North America an option or are there any other sort of creative things? I mean, most most of the time we just look at going through Asia, but are there any other ways to get over to Europe? Well, if you want to do a trip to Europe and you also want to go to the US, another option is to uh, fly from Australia to North America and then onwards to Europe. Uh, we do actually have airlines um, that do offer such fares in Australia. Um, American definitely do. Uh, United do, although they don't have premium economy just yet, but soon they will. Virgin Atlantic do offer such options as well, as well as Air New Zealand. And they're being, they're, in some cases, they're going to be also quite price competitive um, compared to going via Asia and usually not much more than going through Asia. Uh, and that would allow you to stop over in the US as well as Europe. Um, so, you know, you, you could, in some ways, depending how you look at it, get two trips for one. We're going to take a quick break now, back in just a moment. Would you like to get more out of your frequent flyer points? Frequent Flyer Solutions has a comprehensive, easy-to-follow training program that will teach you all the strategies you need to know to travel better while paying much less. For beginners, there's a course on the basics of frequent flyer points. And for more advanced users, you'll also learn how to earn more frequent flyer points, which frequent flyer programs and credit cards to use, and exactly how to redeem your points effectively for award flights and upgrades. Plus, you'll learn how to attain airline status, find cheap flights, earn hotel status, and much more. It really is the ultimate resource for frequent flyers. To learn more, visit frequentflyer.com.au.
So I'm, I'm joined by Alan Lamb, uh, who is also known as Mad Rooster on AFF, and he is an excellent travel agent. Alan, we've talked now a bit about premium economy, but I wanted to also talk about the recent changes to the British Airways Executive Club program. British Airways announced um, earlier in the week that they were going to be making changes to partner award pricing. So the number of Avios required to redeem for a partner award. And these changes are going to be coming in on the 30th of May, um, so at the end of this month. And it's interesting because British Airways has told us that they're going to be making changes, but they haven't actually told us what the changes are. Luckily, however, some very clever people have been doing a bit of research and someone over at a website called Seat31B has, uh, we believe, deciphered what the new rates are going to be. So we have, we think, some idea of what the, the changes actually entail, but um, the prices in any case will be going up, which is a bit of a shame because British Airways Avios redemptions on short haul routes uh, can be excellent, excellent value. Alan, what is the, uh, I know you're quite an avid user of Avios yourself. What is the value in redeeming Avios for those short-haul flights? Uh, some of these short-haul flights, particularly on, say, Qantas, um, domestically in Australia, or even um, some of the short-haul routes to, say, Auckland, EMEA, uh, these can represent quite good value on um, using BA Avios. Um, other good routes that exist around the world um, are some of the AA routes in uh, North America or uh, domestic flights within Japan on Japan Airlines or short-haul uh, flights within Asia on Cathay Pacific. Um, BA short-haul in Europe and um, in South Africa as well and some of the time flights as well in uh, South America can also be quite good value on BA Avios. Yeah and I guess the sweet spot here is really that the fact that, I mean, previously flights under 650 miles in length were 4,500 Avios in economy or 9,000 Avios for business class, which is a really good sweet spot if you're redeeming for a flight such as Canberra to Adelaide, which is usually quite expensive if you're paying for a ticket, but it's it's just under that 650 mile mark. So you could get it previously for 4,500 Avios. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, the prices are going to be going up a little bit, but uh, you've you've done some calculations, Alan, and it looks like the changes won't be too bad. Do you want to take us through what uh, what's going to be changing there and what the new value proposition is going to be like with BA? Uh, certainly in terms of um, Avios, uh, these well, th these amounts that I'm about to give you are all in Australian dollars just to keep it, uh, keep it consistent and simple. Uh, so to look at, if we were to look at some of the published fares um, or paid fares in cash um, for Canberra to Adelaide, the lowest fare that we generally will see is um, an E-class fare or basically the 60-day advanced purchase fare. And that is currently pricing at $219. If there's no availability in E-class, uh, which is the lowest class that Qantas offers in uh, on domestic, uh, generally then you will see a fare in Q-class and that is $268 um, again in economy. Currently the Avios cost for economy when you, if you were to buy Avios and then redeem them accordingly and then pay the taxes, uh, works out to be 130 Australian dollars all in for economy, obviously using up 4,500 Avios. Uh, the new rate apparently based on what's been uh, supposedly posted online, is it's now going to cost 6,000 Avios, and that's going to be about 159 Australian dollars, again, including, including the taxes. 
if we look at Qantas Frequent Flyer, if you were to redeem uh, using Qantas Frequent Flyer points, you'd be looking at paying uh, $60 uh, as well as 12,000 points for that route. However, if we look at business class, uh, business class is where it gets uh, particularly interesting because the regular business class fare on the Canberra Adelaide route can be as high as $969 uh, when not on sale. And the obvious cost for that in um, at the moment is $218, including taxes, uh, and that's using 9,000 Avios. Whereas if you, you were to redeem uh, once the prices have gone up, um, you'd be potentially looking at 12,000 uh, Avios according to what's been posted online, and that works out to be about 277 Australian dollars. Um, that represents really, really, really good value compared to the 969 you potentially could be paying. Um, and even on sale, you know, if that route was to be on sale in a domestic business class sale with Qantas, you still wouldn't be anywhere near the $200 mark. Um, certainly, maybe you might see see $500 or $600, but certainly nowhere nowhere below $300. Um, if we look at a Qantas frequent flight redemption, we'd be looking at 24,000 points and again, $60 in taxes and fuel surcharges. So if you were to look at the uh, points value redeemed on Qantas or even the paid cash ticket, um, neither of those options are anywhere near what the Avios cost would be if you were to buy the Avios and then redeem accordingly and then pay the taxes. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the Avios cost. So this is the cost, I guess, of buying the Avios when they're on special and then... Uh... And then we're also adding on the amount of taxes that we need to pay when redeeming those Avios. Uh, could you just explain to our listeners, how can you buy Avios at those prices? There's quite a few ways to buy Avios. Uh, I won't go through all of them uh, as there's quite a number of options uh, available and not every option is available to Australians. Uh, certainly some options are only available to Europeans or um, UK residents and so forth. Uh, a couple of the more popular options, are if you've got, um, if you've got a BA account that's registered with a UK address, that's probably the best um, you could possibly get. Uh, British Airways does offer periodically throughout the year, a couple of times a year, uh, the ability to buy Avios um, with a bonus. So you, it might be, say, a 50% bonus on the number of Avios you buy, um, or it might be 100% um, at times. And uh, certainly that works out to be um, quite quite a cheap way to buy Avios, uh, but only if it's on sale like that with a with a bonus. Um, other ways include uh, buying through BA's sister program, Iberia Plus. They also do offer Avios bonuses as well when buying. Um, not necessarily at the same time as British Airways. In fact, most, most of the time, not the same time as British Airways. Um, but they do offer quite good deals as well. Generally, they charge in euros, um, this, uh, irrespective of what your uh, residence country might be. So that may be, that may be more attractive to those who don't have a UK address. Personally, I buy I buy my Avios uh, through um, Groupon in Spain. Every so often, usually every couple of weeks, maybe every month, um, they have these little uh, Avios bundles, and these Avios bundles can be really well priced. Um, so you buy them in say lots of four thousand or eight thousand or two thousand, or depending which one works out to be the best on a per Avios basis. These then cre- get credited to your Iberia account. And then between Iberia and British Airways, you can then transfer the uh, Avios between the two programs. And basically what I do is I buy those Avios through um, Groupon and then I redeem them so they appear in my uh, Iberia account. And then after I then shift them across to my British Airways account and then redeem them accordingly. So it sounds to me like um, despite the devaluation, it's probably could still be worth buying Avios uh, going forward. And uh 
And I guess if people already have Avios in their accounts right now, um, it sounds like they don't really need to panic. I mean, it's always a bit disconcerting when British Airways says there's going to be changes, but they don't tell us what they are. But if the leaked information from seat 31B is correct, it sounds like it's there's still going to be some very decent value here. Is that also your take on it? Yes. Um, I mean, I I still think it's still business as usual um, with the changes if, if these amounts that have been posted by seat 31B are indeed correct. I mean, one of the routes that I do fly frequently is Sydney-Brisbane, Brisbane-Sydney. And um, at the moment, the Avios cost works out to be at about $115 in economy, which is cheaper than uh, virtually any fare that Qantas offers these days on the Sydney-Brisbane or Brisbane-Sydney route. So I uh, virtually never buy a Brisbane-Sydney or Sydney-Brisbane uh, domestic paid fare anymore. And I just simply use Avios because I don't really need the status credits um, at all. Uh, certainly with the changes to the amount of Avios required, uh, it's going to push it up to probably about $140 approximately for the Sydney-Brisbane route. That then puts it ab- just above what the E-class or the lowest advanced purchase fare would be on um, Qantas for the Sydney-Brisbane route. And so going forward, I mean, uh, for some routes, you'll, you you might find that uh, it may be cheaper to buy the um, paid cash fare instead of using Avios, but for some routes, um, it may make sense uh, no matter what, for example, like Canberra Adelaide, which is a quite expensive route in general. Absolutely. And I should just clarify the changes are affecting all of uh, British Airways partner airlines except for Iberia, Voiling, and Aer Lingus. So all of the One World Airlines, other than BA and Iberia, are going to be affected by this. Well, thanks, uh, thanks Alan, for coming onto the podcast. If anyone wants to uh, book any flights with you, maybe in premium economy, for example, how can they get in touch with you and uh, and use your travel agent services? Uh, my agency is uh, NetWave Travel, and I can be contacted by email at alan, that's with one L, A-L-A-N, at netwavetravel.com. Well, thanks very much, Alan, for coming onto the podcast, and I really appreciate your insights. Thank you for your time, Matt. That's just about it for another episode of AFF On Air. Thanks once again to Alan Lamb from NetWave Travel for coming on to chat to me. And thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes or visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au. And in the episode notes, you'll also find a link to an AFF thread where you can discuss anything that was in today's episode or ask questions. If you enjoyed this podcast, please, please, please subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. By doing that, you'll help us to reach more, more people. So I would really very much appreciate that. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, as always, happy flying. Happy flying.